Hello and welcome to this week's Hong Kong Heritage. British artist Fiona Hawthorne first came to Hong Kong at the age of six when her father moved here to join RTHK. She was here for eight years. She returned at the age of 22 and would go and sit in the Kowloon Walled City and would sketch the people there as they worked at their mini factories. She also did watercolour portraits and took video of this notorious and densely populated part of Kowloon. She photographed the children as they ran across the roof next to the Kai Tak flight path. The walled city was eventually demolished in 1994. In this week's programme, we talk about her new book, Drawing on the Inside, Kowloon Walled City, 1985. Fiona has also produced a children's book about the walled city. Yeah, I can remember arriving early evening and then going to the Fortuna Hotel on Nathan Road and just being struck I can't remember how we got there by taxi, I assume, and just being struck by the buildings, the height of the buildings, the colour. I remember checking into the hotel and then we went for a walk on Nathan Road and it was dusk and the lights were all coming on and, you know, the place was just coming to life. And it was just extraordinary. I can remember you know, different smells, different colours, the open-fronted shops with things that I'd never seen before. You know, just the amount of clothes and colour and things that you couldn't get in Northern Ireland. There was a toy shop that the window was full of electronic toys, dogs that moved and barked. And you know, it was just a cacophony of everything colourful, vibrant, just extraordinary. So you arrive here at the age of six from Northern Ireland and this was due to your dad's job? Yeah, so he worked in the BBC and he'd won a Churchill Fellowship for a school's radio series that he produced and that was basically a series that taught Irish history and could be played and understood as a learning tool for both sides of the community. And he ended up going to Japan and stopped in Hong Kong on the way. And then that led a year later to a job in Hong Kong with RTHK. And it was originally a two-year contract. So I understood we were going for two years, a sort of a two-year adventure. (laughs) But we ended up staying for eight years. Anybody who uh, watches a lot of Chinese television here in Hong Kong would recognise Go Go Bo. That's the signature tune of what, in fact, is Hong Kong's longest-running television series. It's Below the Lion Rock, produced by RTHK. And my guest on the Pleasures Hours this week is the man who put the T in RTHK, Jimmy Hawthorne. Jimmy, welcome to the programme. Oh, it's lovely to be back. The story of the T in RTHK, Go Go Bo and, uh, RT- and um, Below the Lion Rock. Well, I came out here originally in 1970, seconded by the BBC originally for two years, to graft onto the then Radio Hong Kong uh, a television unit. And uh, then we changed its name, of course, to Radio Television Hong Kong. But that little tune was the signature tune of uh, what became an absolutely remarkably successful Chinese series. Uh, And uh, it really sums up my connection, if you like, 
with Hong Kong. Oh, wow. So you were 14 by the time that you left. So that's really really your formative years. Actually, Definitely. Yeah, you, you say that your mother had lots to do with, you know, your early introduction to art and, and uh, fostering that. Yeah, well, my mum was an art teacher. She stopped teaching when before she had kids, but she always created situations that we would draw in. So you know, the kitchen table, we always drew at the kitchen table while she was cooking and working. And when we went out, we carried sketchbooks. And she just encouraged me to look around me to try and d- draw from life, but also just develop my imagination. So she always provided art materials and collected old boxes and now I remember even sweet papers anything that you could stick onto a page and draw around or make into something she encouraged that in your introduction you also describe some of the shops that you actually go and get your art supplies from which I rather enjoyed including Daimaru where you get your sketch pads and also the Chinese department store Yuhua, where you actually uh, buy strongly, simply crafted brushes and clay ink dishes. So were you actually using them for a a completely different purpose or were you actually doing calligraphy? Oh, different purpose. Just loved. My mum, you know, discovered uh, in Yuhua, you know, those tools you described. And so she bought those so that we had those paint brushes and those clay pots. And also in Shanghai streets and all over Hong Kong, as you know, there's little stationery shops where you can find interesting little extras, neon stickers and all those kind of things. So we we were just uh, kind of slightly addicted to to buying art materials. And in Hong Kong, it's the right place to be addicted to that. Are you still addicted now? Definitely. (laughs) But I do miss the abundance of things you can get in Hong Kong. It doesn't, you can get great art materials here in London, but it Nothing really compares to Hong Kong, especially in the heyday of, of Daimaru, Matsuskaya, Yuwa and all those backstreet shops, which were amazing in all the little corners of Hong Kong. Your father, James Hawthorne, became the director of broadcasting a, a few years on. And so you got to know, you know, the crew at RTHK very well. But also while you're growing up and while you're exploring around Hong Kong, you discover the walled city. Can you describe how you came across it or how you came to know about it? Well, I knew about it because we used to go to Kowloon City Market, which was a really popular market with people who kind of were in the know. It wasn't a place where tourists went. It wasn't sort of, you know, anything like Temple Street or Ladies Market. It was where we went to buy clothes, school shoes. There was toy outlets there, which were an amazing discovery. You could buy a big see-through plastic bag of Barbie accessories for $10, which, you know, amazing things, little accessories that would normally be boxed in a sort of more upmarket toy shop. But these were all the outlet stores. So there were lots of discoveries like that. So we went to Cullen City Market quite a lot. And when, you know, as I grew up and was a teenager, I'd go with my friends and the Wall City was just there. So it was that area had a lot of old buildings, a lot of the old style buildings in those colours. But the Wall City just was different. If you looked along the skyline and you suddenly saw it, you'd, it was almost shocking. Just the juxtaposition of the way it was built to the floors, you know, sort of jagged and lots of the cages attached to the, the fascia. And it just looked as if it was like the rest of Hong Kong, but something quite different and very surprising. So, but that's all I knew about it. Also, I remember, and I didn't realize this till, till later, but I remember landing at Kai Tak once 
when I was maybe eight years old, eight or nine. And actually, just before landing, you could see the Wall City. And I remember looking into a flat and seeing a girl about my age in the window. And just for a split second, we looked at each other. And I kind of I remember that. Think couldn't quite believe that had happened, but that's how close it was when planes landed. <laughs> and I realised later that must have been the Wall City and kind of thought, did that really happen? But it did. And I know that other people have had similar experiences of landing at Kaitak and looking in and making eye contact with people. It was so close. So, you know, the Wall City wasn't a place that you went. I didn't really know much about the history at all. I just knew that there was this this group of buildings, this clump of buildings called the Wall City. It wasn't until I went back to Hong Kong later that I found out more about it. You come here at the age of six and and you're here for eight years. So, uh, you know, as you say, you're growing up in, in Hong Kong with all its colours and experiences. And then at the age of 14, you head back to Northern Ireland, is it? Yeah, so lived in Hong Kong until I was 14, went back to Northern Ireland in the height of the Troubles. That was a big, surprising move. So my dad was offered a job as controller of the BBC in Northern Ireland when I was 14, when we were very happily living in Hong Kong. And it's not a job you turn down. So you know, it's not a job you turn down easily. So, But it was a relatively short time since getting that offer, making the decision to leave and leaving. And so we went to live in Northern Ireland in the height of the Troubles, which was an extraordinary and difficult change from Hong Kong. Yes, I'm sure, because, I mean, Hong Kong is always such a, a wonderfully safe place in, in that sense. So you're based in Northern Ireland. And, and what made you decide then to return to Hong Kong? So I was in Northern Ireland and I knew that I had to get back to a big city. So it's kind of a natural conclusion that I would end up going to art college in London, which I did. And when I was in London, I really missed Hong Kong. You know, I was older. It seemed a possibility that I could go back. And I started looking at it. And I found, I remember, I found this book called Work Your Way Around the World. And it mentioned that you could get courier flights and get, you know, you could do these free courier flights. I was an art student. I didn't have any money. So that, that was a possibility. And I made inquiries and I became an air courier when they had flights to Hong Kong. And I got to do several of these seven-day trips to to Hong Kong where you went with hand luggage only, you carried the paperwork for DHL and you were the on-flight courier and all the stuff was kind of attached to you. And then, and that's, on one of those trips, I discovered the Wall City when a friend took me there. Your book, Drawing on the Inside, Kowloon Walled City, 1985. I mean, it's a, a wonderful mix of both photographs, your sketch art and uh, watercolours and on the front you see you as your I think your 22 year old self or around then with a video camera so you were doing all of these mixed art but you also describe how you're there with a table doing your art within the walled city so this this wasn't just a case of you taking photographs and doing your art later. No I, I find it very difficult to capture energy in drawings if I draw from photographs. So if I ever did draw from photographs, I would sort of have them splayed all over a table and I'd kind of just look at them for source and memory, but not to draw from. So I did most of the work, the large majority in the Wall City, which meant that I had to carry a kit that you know, I could set up on a table in a cafe and little restaurant and draw on a table 
somewhat unobtrusively without making a mess. And that way I didn't impose. And I carried sketchbooks that were a decent size, but not huge. And, you know, it all had to be not too heavy to get there when I went most days that I went. I didn't stay in the wall city. I stayed outside, but I, I went most days. So I had to be able to carry the kit in the heat. So everything I did was there. And I didn't really have a plan for what I was going to draw. I just let it evolve. And I found that, you know, people were really welcoming and they sat for me. So I ended up that a lot of the work was portraits of people who just sat for me or just little drawings of what was going on around me, where I was at the time. So you'd actually have people just sit at the table and, and, and be quite happy to be your subjects? Yeah, or they would be sitting in the in the same little restaurant and, you know, I would kind of smile across and indicate to them that I'd like to draw them and they would give me a response back and they would be aware that I was drawing them and they would, you know, help me out by sort of sitting a little bit still but not too still because I wasn't that kind of artist that I needed, complete stillness. And it just worked. They would come and look at my drawings and then other people would realise what, you know, what I was doing and they wouldn't mind if I then drew them. So it, it just evolved into a comfortable situation where I never felt that I was not welcome and that I never felt, you know, that I was intruding or making people unhappy that I was there. And, you know, I'm really thankful for the, for the privilege of that, that people allowed me to do that and kind of let me in and let me capture everything that I drew and filmed. <laughs> Yes, and, and, and photographed indeed. I mean, a lot of your portraits in, in all forms really do capture the people of that time in the Kowloon Walled City. I mean, it's got value in it in your art, but also value in this sort of complete piece of heritage that you've captured here. And also what I'm interested in is, though, the variety. I'm not an artist myself, so you'll have to explain a little bit to me just your techniques and things. But I enjoyed the variety of your art in the sense that you're... Some of it, you're you're getting the chaos of the walled city when you're looking up the side of it. I'm just looking at one where it's the, the entire, you've got a frontage, the Grace Light Kindergarten, and it's a, a sketch. Um, it's just done with an ink pen, and you're doing right up the side of the Kowloon Walled City. So you've got all of the electrics going on that, that it was always famous for, and all the TV aerials or equivalent, uh, antennae rather, at the top. And then your other ones, are you're moving into sort of watercolour kind of portraiture. So you seem to have quite a variety of styles. Yeah, well, I, I think as a rule, when I had a table to sit on and I, I knew that I could stay there, you know, I could have some food in the cafe and, and just sort of stay for a few hours, then I'd get the paints out. But if I was somewhere where it wasn't so easy to sit, so I'd be standing or perched somewhere, then I would draw with pen. That was kind of how it happened. So, And sometimes even... You know, I just remember scenes and some of the drawings you might notice are slightly more imaginative. They're slightly more like subconscious doodles. And some of them were. They were just doodles on scraps of paper and little bits of diary. And I found all of those and realized, oh, you know, I'd drawn a little wall city drawing on this scrap of paper must have been while I was at home th that night after being in the wall city that day. And I kept I kept all of those. So I found that there was a place for those in the book as well, because it was obviously the whole visual side of the wall city, the whole, you know, everything about it was kind of gone into my consciousness at that time. So a lot of the little scribbles were things from the wall city, even if they were 
the imaginative drawings and not the ones drawn in location. Now, drawing on the inside, Kowloon Walled City, 1985, we move from, as you say, your watercolours, your, your doodle sketches into architectural and portraiture photos, both in colour and uh, black and white. Uh, one of the ones I love here is, is actually where you can really see that you've done it on a, a piece of paper on the move because it's, uh, or perhaps it's over the years that it's become a little bit uh, torn and curled at the corners. And it's a father, I think, with a, a sewing machine and his yeah. his little daughter is is watching and it and it's great because you've got all these shelves around it and this again is is done in in black ink the the telephone on the side the the lamp coming over the side and and it, i i really really enjoy that one oh thank you you know there was a lot of the drawings that when i look back i'd sort of forgotten that i'd done them and i realized i put the drawings away for a number of years and then brought them out and and looked at them all again and it was just so moving to just remember all those scenes and the kindness of the people who let me draw them and you know kept on working and didn't you know didn't tell me to go away I didn't stop just kept showing me what they were doing so that I could keep drawing and I think that was one of those drawings that I felt when I when I remembered it it was kind of a, a special moment of being able to capture some of the incredible industry that was going on there that you know the busyness the work people were were doing in small spaces with and kids in that environment you know kind of incredible childhood really to be in that close community and to be with your parents while they're working I think a lot of there was a lot of families working together yeah, you describe here, there was no shortage of things to draw and paint. I loved the noisy activity of people together and the detail in every scene. The ceiling fans, the fish tanks, the wax frying, the pink walls and fluorescent lights in the dentists who displayed false teeth and gum moulds in their small windows. So, yes, and uh, also you've got all of the dark alleys, then the, the, the spaghetti of electrics I always remember as being described and uh, seen in, in photos. Now, the fact that you were going around and, and people were happy to, to sit for you, um, did you work with an interpreter? I didn't work with an interpreter, but I did when I first went. My friend who'd been in knew Jackie Pullinger, who was working in the Wall City as a missionary, um, working especially with people who had struggled with addiction. And I met Jackie Pullinger, who introduced me to a young man who spoke really good English. And he took me round the first time. And then other times I met with him and he took me around and introduced me to people and kind of gave me, you know, I, I suppose instilled confidence in people and, and in me as well. You know, Curling Walled City was 60,000 people at the time when you were visiting and uh, was also, you know, known for triads, lawlessness. Did you get a sense of any of that? To be honest, I didn't really. I suppose I was an intrepid 22-year-old and I had a, a sense, I wasn't careless, but I was, you know, I was someone who took risks and I didn't really have problems. I just felt, you know, my, I was an artist and when people saw that I was there to draw, that was a, a, a language of understanding. And so I did know there was a lot going on in the Wall City, but I didn't really 
seek it out. And I didn't really encounter any problems at all. Nobody was unkind to me. What I also enjoy with your book is, as you described, is the fact that you, you've you kept these, like I've just come across a piece of calendar from the one day where you've just got your notes on it. So did you just keep everything in an album or a box? You know, because I quite like all of those sort of doodles. And it's the kind of thing that often many of us would, would throw away, you know, and we'd keep the main art. Well, I don't really want to call myself a hoarder. But I think I possibly am a bit of a hoarder. And I think it's when you're an artist, you you know, you kind of keep everything because you think that you might somehow put it into a piece of work. So I wouldn't, it wasn't, I have to say the Wall City work wasn't entirely organised. Some of the bigger pieces I put in the loft and then I had sketchbooks that were around. But when I, when I really hunted them out, I found more that I didn't even you know, I'd kind of forgotten I had that sketchbook, a particular one. And when I found the one of, of the little notes with those little diary bits stuck in, I was really pleased to find that because I'd completely forgotten uh, that I'd kept all those things, but not surprised that I'd kept them all. And I have to tell you that I, even after doing the book, I found some more. <laughs> <laughs> so your book, it's been curated by Benjamin Salmon. Benjamin Salmon is my son. And he's at Central St. Martin's. He's a fantastic artist with a very strong artistic voice, just very clear in, in his work. And one day I was sorting out Wall City sketches, which I digitized and I had them on my computer. And he came in and he said, Mom, that's Calvin Wall City. How do you know about that? And I was like, how do you know about that? <laughs> and it turned out that it was Calvin Wall City is in a computer game called Call of Duty, really popular game worldwide. I had no idea that it had kind of acquired after it's, you know, to be taken down, it acquired this sort of cult mythic status and was in a, a computer game and known by lots of young people. So he was, was already really fascinated by Cowling Wall City and he knew quite a lot about it. So you know, cut to a few years later when I was putting the work together and think just so much of it and thinking, how do I integrate photos with scribbles, with watercolours? And he just start, sort of took over and said, you know, that I think that works really well with that and that works well with that. So that's how, you know, it was really great having his, his young perspective and his forthright courage in, in making those decisions or helping me make those decisions. So, yeah, that was great. Some of these pictures, were you actually standing on the roof of the Walled City? Yeah, some children took me up to the roof, and which was extraordinary. It's just like all these different levels of the tops of the building and just a forest of aerials. It was extraordinary. And the children leapt around the rooftops and, you know, you could see the planes landing at Kai Tak and... <laughs> everything going on around it was just extraordinary to be there absolutely the impression of being on that roof is just forever imprinted on my mind yeah and you've done a lovely treatment of it in the book it goes across right across a, a couple of pages and it's interesting actually when looking back at the drawing you just used to seeing those flasks and those fans and kind of they really captivate me I, I loved them then but you don't think they're going to disappear or change and looking back at the drawings i felt nostalgic for all the things you know the clay pot it's served in restaurants you know those clay pots with mm. the small stocky handle and the, the red plastic bowls and the 
the stools and the, the vinyl tables and all of that, that, you, you know, it's not so easy to find it like it was. You know, I, I love remembering all those things that I'm kind of attached to. Now, we've been talking about your art and your photography as, uh, and you get people to sit and in your book, Drawing on the Inside, Kowloon, Walled City, 1985. But actually on the front of the book, there's a picture of you holding a video camera when you're about 22. So did you video as well? Well, the story behind the video was before, just before I went to the Walled City, I saw in the Observer magazine one Sunday a full page advert for this JVC home camera that you could get where anyone at home could buy a video camera and become you know they could shoot video which was amazing before video cameras were only for professionals and I wrote to JVC and said I'm going to this place called Wall City can I borrow one of your cameras or could you help me could you sponsor me so they lent me a camera so the camera was in a huge case like a like a big fat briefcase and it was heavy and it was gray foam and all the parts fitted in so that was the camera that I took to the Wall City. I took a lot of footage, actually. And I remember, because I was at art college at the time, there was a, a track, a reggae track with really fantastic rhythm through it called Rent Man by Junior Delahaye. And I really wanted to put that music to a film of the Wall City because just the in industrious chopping and cutting and, you know, it was all that work that people were doing and this song was called Rent Man and it was just about working working hard to pay the rent man and somehow I just thought they fitted together and I really wanted to make that video but when I came back to Chelsea School of Art the technician put me off and said oh it won't look good you know and um, you need lots of run-on footage which I didn't know before you cut a piece of film you need run-on before and after the piece you want so he said, the tiny clips you want, it's going to be so much work. So I did put together a film, but it wasn't the film I wanted it to be. But I do have that film. But I've also got hours of footage of going up onto the roof with the children, going up the staircase, you know, the whole way filming, getting up onto that roof. So there's stuff that I think, again, I sort of took for granted when I was doing, not really realising that this would be quite rare to have this footage. And I've still got it, and I haven't really done anything with it. And I'm, I would love to do something with it, because even though it's, it's wobbly and I'm an amateur filmer, <laughs> it captures something that doesn't exist anymore. And it, you know, it's, it's, it's great to have it. Now, in addition to drawing on the inside Kowloon Walled City 1985, which is what we're talking about today, you've also just recently brought out a children's book on the Walled City. Yes, I actually wrote the children's book first because I was thinking for years, what will I do with these drawings? And I came to the conclusion, having heard so many unfairly salacious stories of the Walled City, always looking at the negative. And I thought, you know, I want, if I can do something, if there's a legacy that this work could leave, it would be to, to tell a story that was much more positive. And I thought a simple way of doing that would be via a children's book that gives us, creates a story that the children of the Wall City, now grown up, could share with their children. And it's not all those videos on YouTube that show the dark side of the Wall City, if you like. You know, this was a more positive story about the really good things going on in the Wall City. So I wrote the children's book. And then through doing the children's book and bringing all the drawings out again, that kind of gave me the courage. And 
Pete from Blacksmith Books really encouraged me to go for it with the book we've been talking about. And I absolutely love doing the second book as well. But they're, they're very different. And the, so the children's book is the essence of the story and it's full colour. And it's very enhanced in in colour because that's how I saw it. It was it was a colourful place in spirit and in the way, the warmth of the people. And I really hope I've got that across in the children's story. My thanks to Fiona Hawthorne talking there on her new book, Drawing on the Inside, Kowloon Walled City, 1985, published by Blacksmith Books, who've also published her Walled City children's book. Fiona also runs her own family steel band at Notting Hill. There wasn't enough time in this programme, unfortunately, so I hope to chat to her about that another time. Thanks for listening and join me next week on Hong Kong Heritage.